This is Eva Borja back to bring you this abolitionist podcast that audio archives state repression and fierce migrant resistance in the southern Arizona borderlands and breaks down case law and politics from a leftist perspective. As a first-generation professional whose parents are Salvadoran immigrants, Yvette prioritizes uplifting and centering the voices of Central American immigrants. On this episode, I interviewed Doralina Luna, a Tucson-based Latina who owns her own law firm and practices immigration law. She shares what made her venture into solo legal practice, what inspired her to hire people directly impacted by the immigration system, and gives tips for lawyers thinking about opening up a private practice. Thank you so much to Araceli Rivera-Cohen, who is a monthly Cachimbona Apoyadora and gets a monthly shout out on the podcast. Thank you so much for continuing to support this work. Also, thank you to Virginia Murillo, who is the latest yearly patron to join the patron community. If you want to support the Radio Cachimona podcast and if you want access to amazing bonus content like the lit reviews, which are fierce book club style chats with amazing women of color and also early access to episodes like these, you can become a patron for five to ten dollars a month, depending on whatever you can give. And I love every single one of the 27 patrons who have been writing with me from the very beginning. Also, you can support the podcast non-monetarily. You can leave an Apple podcast rating and review or a Spotify rating and review. It really helps with visibility and helping other people find the podcast. You can also follow at Radio Cachimbona on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook in order to continue the conversations and thoughts that you were having from the episode there. And as I've announced, you know, for many months now, I am a legal journalist, a legal commentator for Balls and Strikes. I'm a staff writer there focusing on the Supreme Court and the federal judiciary. So if you want to keep up with my stories there, you can also follow me on Twitter at Yvette Borja AZ at Y-V-E-T-T-E-B-O-R-J-A-A-Z. I hope that you all enjoy this episode and this interview. Thank you so much. And I love every single one of you listening. Hello, Cachimbonas. Today, I'm really excited to have immigration lawyer Doralina Luna here to discuss her practice, why she hires directly impacted clients and empowers them through her practice and her experience empowering another young Latina attorney, and uh, just generally more about how to find balance for somebody who wants to go into private practice for themselves. So before we get into that, Dorlina, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. How are you doing? 
I'm doing well. Thank you so much for the invite. Uh, this is kind of exciting. Yes, this is so exciting. <laughs> so I wanted to ask to start off, what brought you to the practice of law and what drew you to immigration law in particular? Oh, that's going to be a long story, but I'll make it short. Well, I was originally born in Los Angeles, California, but I always tell the story how my mom crossed when she was pregnant. She was about seven months pregnant when she crossed. And I, I definitely was born here, but I lived in the U.S. all of three days before going back to Mexicali, where I grew up until I came to the U.S. I think I was like in fifth or sixth grade. And I'm too old to call myself a child of the border, but I was definitely a child of the border because yeah. we live all around Calexico, El Centro, Brawley, Yuma, Arizona. Mm. Um, so we're definitely in the border. And when I when I went to college and actually graduated from Arizona Western College in Yuma, Arizona, yay. And I came up to the U of A I, I decided I wanted to study psychology because I was very interested in, in people. <laughs> you know, I liked the, yeah. the human condition. Was this for your undergrad? For my undergrad. Okay. And, and that's kind of what I did. But, but I was always interested in immigration in, in a way. But I, my first career was actually social work until I... Okay. I, I yeah, so, you know, it, it goes because it's all about working with people. Yeah, um, exactly. I feel like a lot of immigration work is social work, actually. It's it's very much social work. It's definitely, you have to know what makes people tick, what what are the conditions or the social conditions around what makes people do what they do or what they don't do. And we have to have that compassion that's necessary to do our job. But anyways, long story short, I ended up working at Coalición de Derechos Humanos back in the thousands. I was I oh, okay. was an immigration activist. I did a lot of uh, social justice work. I just, I did. I mean, it's always been, for me, the story of immigration because of my family, mm-hmm. uh, because they also, they immigrated, most of them immigrated here, definitely my parents. And so it was very personal to me. When I stopped working at Derechos Humanos, I I was working for Congressman Raul Grijalva, mm. and I worked okay, for him. Can you share what the Coalición de Derechos Humanos does? Because I don't think everybody knows that's not from you know this area. Oh, yes, absolutely. Derechos Humanos is a coalition of all the different organizations that work together for social justice for immigrants. So we had everything like Veterans for Peace. We have... The, like the global justice. And I think right now they're in a building on 30, 36th or so, 26th or so. And they have all the organizations together. So pretty much we were in charge of organizing Know Your Rights workshops. We were in charge of doing all the marches, all the protests. It was, mm-hmm. it was very fun, um, as well as uh, the education part of it. I loved the education. My thing, my thing, my jam was the Know Your Rights. I really enjoyed them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's all what helped me kind of want to go into law right is that <laughs> is that what made you want to do it do you think um I think I think so I think I I really wanted to do more uh when I started working for the congressman's office I realized the the bureaucracy that was I don't know it was, there was just a lot a lot there working with the federal government and, and it was very nice to be able to work somewhere where we had the big scissors that we were able to cut it, you know, in on behalf mm-hmm. of the constituents. But but I wanted to do more. 
So I, I decided that it was time for me to go to law school. And then that's where I went. But, you know, it, this is how it is for someone who is from the community. When people find out you're going to law school, they're so happy because they know that when you graduate, you're going to be able to help them. So, so it's not like you go thinking, oh, I'm going to be a transactional attorney. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's true. And you came from community and did you think, was there something that about yourself and your skill set that made you think I'm in an organizing space, but I actually think I would contribute more in a legal capacity? I wanted to make a difference and I wanted to be able to help people directly. I loved uh, working with with organizations and I love doing a lot of the social justice stuff, but I wanted to make a, a bigger impact or more, more direct impact. Even working for the congressman, I, I could help, but I couldn't help completely. And, and obviously I was not allowed to give out legal advice. So I, I really felt like I wanted to make a bigger impact which is to say, I didn't necessarily think it was going to be immigration. Uh, while I was in law school, I was working at the attorney general's office doing consumer protection. <gasps> oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So who were, who's, what type of cases were you prosecuting? Um, it wasn't, pro- well, it was consumer protection. So we were prosecuting people that were doing fraudulent um, mortgage refinancing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we had people who we're pretending we act, I actually did have a case of somebody pretending to be an immigration attorney. And so I was more than happy okay, to yeah, prosecute yeah. that one. Uh, and to me, I, I saw that as as a really awesome way to to help the community out with what I knew. Unfortunately, well, it was 20, 2010, 2011. So there was there it was like a crash. The economy wasn't doing very well. So there were no jobs. Definitely not in the AG's office when I graduated. But also at that time, it was, I don't remember his name, but it was a Republican attorney general that had come in Mm -hmm. and he was not at all interested in prosecuting fake immigration attorneys because, Mm -hmm. and I quote, the victims were um, not documented. Mm. So that was, and that ended my, my hope for working. All right, I'm out. (laughs) I was like, oh, yeah, that was a that was a nice yeah. one, but I I uh, I went back to what I what I really came from, you know, and so I started working for another attorney uh, doing immigration law until I opened up my own firm a couple years later. And so, what type of immigration cases did you take on at that firm, and what kind of immigration cases do you take on now with your own practice? Oh, when I well, when I was working for someone else, we were doing everything. It was family based. Okay, not just okay, family based immigration. Okay. Family based okay. and a lot of detention work. A lot of detention work. So that was uh, it. Was it was good? It was very good. In fact, uh, when I left the firm to open up my own firm, a lot of my work was detention work. So it was you know crisis. In- intervention yeah yes. um, that's where the social your social work background must have come in very handy absolutely one of the things and I'm I'm kind of scared to quote him but but here here we are when I was in law school I I got the opportunity to watch a ninth circuit oral argument and the the chief judge back then and uh, I believe his name was 
Kaczynski, maybe, um, mm. he said something that impacted me. And, and he was, you know, not really going to talk about his history, but he said something yeah. that really got to me. He said, oh, lawyer. Was this the man who was accused of sexual assault or sexual harassment? Yeah, I think he sent out dirty jokes or something. Okay. I, yeah, I didn't really go into For, Yeah, okay. Yeah, just to acknowledge that's what the red flag is there, but he said something Absolutely. that... He said something that, that impacted me. So yeah, so let's <laughs> talk about that. <laughs> I'm taking the good and leaving the bad, but he did say uh, lawyers are problem solvers and they are counselors and healers. And and that that was the first time somebody said something that resonated with me, mm. which was the type of attorney that I wanted to be. When you say healer, do you think that you're trying to take a do no harm approach to guiding your client through the law? It, it's very hard to do that, I think. But is that what you're suggesting? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do no harm. But also, also there's, there's a lot there because you, you want to do everything, but you cannot. It's also about having your mm-hmm. own boundaries. It's yeah. also about, you know, we're not, we're not going to cause harm, but we're also not going to push the client into things that they don't want to, or they have decided that they're not going to pursue. Right. The client always has agency. I think as, Uh you know, when I was a lawyer, I always thought of it as I'm here to present the client with their options and explain the pros and cons as I see them. Yes. And then the decision is in their hands completely. And even if I'm like, why don't you want to stay in yes. fight? It doesn't, it's none of their business. And that's <laughs> something to keep in my head. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's ultimately mm-hmm. the client's decision. Yes. And, and that's part of the do no harm because you, maybe you could have made them better, but if they chose not to, they may end up in the same place where they started. But at least we're not making them worse. But obviously, there's that that desire to to fix the problems that you yourself didn't cause, but where they're to yeah. use the law for their benefit. Yeah, I really appreciate that about drawing boundaries because I think when you work with clients who are poor, this the legal case that you're representing them in, unfortunately, it's very likely one of many problems that they have going on in their life, and yes. you know. Even though immigration, I think, is like really one of those things that's so critical that it really does impact, you know, like whole people's lives, you know, all people's lives. But, you know, even even still, like it's you're not fixing every problem in a person's life. And Mm -hmm. I think it is super important to contend with that reality, because otherwise I've seen people develop like a savior complex where they um, don't they don't reflect on their own behavior enough because mm-hmm. they see themselves as like this permanent saint <laughs> that is doing the best work. <laughs> you know, we're all human. <laughs> None of, of us course. are God. None of us are God. And and you you've hit a very good point there because there's I, I think for me it's a little different because I did a lot of social work. You know, because of that, that I am I don't define myself. And I'll tell you one of the things that I told one of the, my classmates when I was in law school, and he was so worried because if you remember, and I think that probably happened to you too, when you're in law school, there's this pressure, this pressure, yeah. you must, you know, you must go work at a, at a 
what do they call it? White shoe law firm. You yeah. must clerk. You must, you know, write on to be on journal mm-hmm. or on the law review. There's, there's all these things that they tell you, you have to do. This is what you have to do. Cause if you don't do that, forget it. You will not be successful. You are, you will not be an attorney. And I had a friend that was so stressed about that. And I told him, I said, listen, do not let law school define you. You define yourself. And and I, I mean, I think it does resonate with him. And, and and actually, right now he's he's a supervisor at the asylum unit and for immigration. So I'm very happy for him. But um, one of the things that we as attorneys should remember, we are we are so many things besides lawyers. We're so many things besides yeah. that. I mean, I'm a mom. I'm a wife. I'm a person that likes to read. I'm a person that, you know, this and that. But but sure, I work here. This is my profession. I love what I do. I'm passionate about what I do. But if something goes wrong, it doesn't, I don't fall apart. I know who I am. Um, and I think possibly people that have the savior complexes have this distorted idea of who they are right that is so fragile yes because it's overly reliant on like the workplace feeding their identity yes yes and that's why it's so important for us to have a balance Mm -hmm. a a balance work life your work-life balance and 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 just love what you do and also be choosing I know you you had sent me a question about whether I do employment mm-hmm. based immigration and I was like ah no no we don't there's so many reasons why we don't do employment based immigration but I think when I when I first started my law firm I I thought who is my client whom do I want to serve and back in the day when I started my office I was by myself for six months right in a little tiny office whom do I want to serve? And I knew that I wanted to serve my community. And, mm-hmm. and at that time, okay, so who's my community? Well, you know, they're landscapers, they're construction workers, they're people who go to church, you know, because I, I was doing, I was talking, doing presentations at a lot of different churches, their grandparents, their parents, their spouses, you know, and, and at no point was I like, oh, you know what, I really need people that you know, make more than a hundred thousand a year or that there. And <laughs> yeah. it, it just didn't interest me. Not for any other reason that that wasn't interesting to me. I wanted to do a lot of family-based immigration uh, and that kind of morphed towards what I'm doing now, which is more bent towards survivor, survivor relief or really for survivors of violence. But, but it's, I don't know, it's, it's like this, process where you decide what you want to do and if I were to take on a different area I have to think okay is this going to cause more stress do I Mm. do I even like to do that (laughs) I don't you know yeah I I think it's important to signal to the listeners that for employment-based visas these are usually things that are reserved for white collar workers so that's why it would you would be working with a fundamentally different group of people and Yeah, I just really appreciate that honesty. I think that's really amazing. When did you decide to become a solo practitioner? You just mentioned for six months, it was just you by yourself. You had to feel yourself. So what made you want to do that? I don't know. No, I I (laughs) have that. 
I was like, I don't know what I was thinking. When I was working at the at the other at the other law firm, I I did it to help out the attorney. Uh, she's a friend, and she was very stressed and overworked. And she said, "Come help me organize my office." So I did, and I'm very organized. So I I I very much enjoyed being able to kind of go through every single case she had and make sure everything was the systems were in place. I had learned that. There's two types of attorneys. There's the outside attorney, right? The one that's marketing and doing all that stuff. And the inside attorney mm. that does all the work. So I learned how to be... <laughs> I feel that a lot. Yeah, okay, I know exactly so, what you're saying. <laughs> well, so I had to do the inside one. And I said, wow, that's pretty good. Um, I I was... I had a little bit of a crisis where I said, is this what I want to do? Do I want to do something else? Um it, it happened that I had lunch with a with an old classmate who had his own firm in, in Colorado. And I was telling him, oh, I'm not really sure what I want to do, if I want to stay or not. I, when I was clerking before I, I got licensed, I had the law clerk mentality, right? First to get there, last to leave. So I was putting in a lot of work and a lot of dedication. But there was a difference of opinion as to whether I should be paid more once I got licensed. Mm. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Well, that's a definite yes. <laughs> okay, so, so you're like, I need to, you recognize your own self-worth and you went. Right. To, okay, so, yeah, I need okay. To, I need to go somewhere else. But my friend said, you should have your own law firm. And I said, oh, no, I don't even know. How do you do that? Who does that? You know, I don't even, I wouldn't even know where to start. And he asked me, do you have social capital? Oh, because he had already asked me if I had money. And I was like, uh, no. But he's like, do you have social capital? <laughs> and I said, what, huh? And he, he said, do you have people who will refer cases to you? Do you know people who know people who need your services? Right. And I said, oh, oh, of course I do. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. I said, yeah, people come all the time to the law firm I work at now because they they know me and they they want to see me. And he said, oh, well, then you're ready. So, so that's what I did. I, I scrounged up some extra money. I think I, I grabbed a total of 5,000 from some side jobs. I was defending depositions in, in Nevada for a couple of times. And then I got enough money to, to open up my own law firm, which was I rented a little office, a, a one room. And then I started, you know, I, I bought equipment on Craigslist and a laptop and a printer and I had I appointments. That story. That so inspiring. <laughs> it was great. And you know what? I had appointments the first week. I had like three appointments the first of week. Of course. You were like, yeah, my community is <laughs> literally like Dorlina. Represent me. I was like, hey. And then and then I have to tell you, the first person that I hired was a girl that came in with her parents-in-law to the consult and the consult was for her husband's parents who had gotten they were they had they had an experience with border patrol they weren't detained but they had they were kind of scared they wanted to know their options and i as i was talking to them i said i apologize i am in the process of hiring an assistant and by then i had i had interviewed 17 people <laughs> some some with master's degrees some with bachelor's degrees it was insane and i just wasn't finding the right fit Mm-hmm. And and I said, I'm sorry, I'm in the process of hiring one. And then she says, Oh, you're hiring. And I said, Yes. And she goes, Well, I want to apply. And I was like, Okay. I I said, Send me your resume. <laughs> and oh, I didn't know at the time, but she didn't have a resume. So oh, she Googled how to do a resume. She wrote I a resume. I love this. 
And she sent it to me. And I said, okay. <laughs> and of course, like I minored in English. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the girl with a red pen, right? But I was like, okay, this isn't bad. But she's only had like one job. But let's see. So I interviewed her. And the quote that got to me, the, the reason I hired her and that she's still with me today, you know, this is eight, almost nine years later. Uh, I said, do you work well by yourself or with others? And she said, oh, I work very well by myself and I work well with others if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I said, okay, I got you. <laughs> That's amazing. So, but that was the, the first of many, of many staff that I just happened randomly acquire and, <laughs> and be so privileged to have. And so when did you decide that you needed to have another staff attorney in your practice to do everything you want to do with your practice? I think it just came organically, to be honest. I've I've been by myself so, for so long. And I, I should tell you, there's been several attorneys that have come to me and say, hey, you know, are you ever going to hire an associate? Da, 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 da. And I, I hadn't, I wasn't ready or I wasn't thinking I was going to click with that particular person. You know, one of the things about, about this, this firm is obviously we're a business. We are a business. We're not a nonprofit, but at the same time, we have a mission. We have a mission to, to help families. And we have a mission to, to strive to keep families together. And, and to me, that, that mission is very important. And everyone who works here, yes, yes, the money's good, but there's also a, uh, a higher calling, mm-hmm. not, not higher as in religious, but like just a little more meaningful. Yeah, um, something that role. it's not just transactional, like, mm-hmm. you know, we need to make money to live. It's like you're there because this feels like part of your purpose. Yes. And, and also, if we win a case, people are not winning money, you know, they're right they're winning the rest of their life. They're winning being in a better position, less stress for the rest of their life, for their children, for their children to have the less stress of not thinking their parents are going to be deported. And and we believe that what we do is is generational, like it benefits generations yeah. before us, after mm-hmm. after them. So when when one I have Yesenia who's the associate now when she came in as a law clerk, immediately she she clicked. She clicked with everybody as in she had like the personality and mm-hmm. also she had the the bilingual, which is nice because we go back and forth all day, right? Mm-hmm. And but also she was super intelligent. Right. And and I love that. I, I was like, oh, this is great. And a quick learner, which was very nice too. And and very, I don't know how to describe it, but it's very como creative, mm. very, very creative because she would say, yes, well, I love that. So you important know, in legal work you to push boundaries all the time as an advocate. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and we joke about it all the time, you know, like you got to do what you got to do. Um, at the end of the day, we are absolute rule followers where, where the rules are direct or, you know, plain language. Right. But if, if it's ambiguous, then mm-hmm. then we we're gonna push 
And if it's discretionary, absolutely, we're going to push it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That's our job. That's our job. I don't know if it's counterintuitive, but even the staff, I'm not here to say you have to stay with me for the rest of your lives, right? They're always encouraged to go to school. They're always encouraged to like, I, at the beginning, I said I would pay their books. I think I'm at the point where I was paying some of the student loans. I'm like, come on, guys, let's keep going. Let's keep getting better. You know, if they end up leaving somewhere else, that's great because I would love for everybody to fulfill what they want to do with their lives. Right. Um, Yesenia was was here and I'll, all I wanted to do was make sure that she was well prepared to go on wherever she would end up. So for me, for, for me to know that she wanted to stay, I was incredibly fortunate. And I said, oh, no, this, this will work. We will make it work. This is yeah. going to, you know, so that's, that's kind of where we're at. But I, I don't think, I think if you have that mindset of, Let's just develop and, and support. You know, what are the plans? What are the plans? And and it's going to be beneficial even if they end up going somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Because you're always, you're mentoring people who are committed to the cause. So it's always going to come yes. back and contribute more. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that your firm is ultimately at the end of the day a business. And how do you maintain the balance between legal work and operational work? Like, what does that look like for you? Oh, well, I mean, I have a business manager. Okay, <laughs> I don't, yeah. I don't talk to the clients about prices because I know myself. I know me and they, and my staff knows me. They don't let me around the viejitos, uh, the older people. <laughs> because they, they say, like, you know, nice. let's just do it for free. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That is me. That is me to a T. So I have to have a business manager who'll, who'll do the quotes. And she's too cute, too, because she'll be like, well, but, you know, he's so cute. So I just, you know, I told him that we'll take, you know, this much. Is that okay? And I said, that's fine. Yeah. Um, she has a heart. But, but that's, <laughs> that's how we do it. We do. We try to do the best for, for people. If they qualify for fee waivers, we, we do it. We do it because we feel that we're not here to, we're not here to take people's, you know, get an eye off their face or whatever, but it it is hard. I have a business manager on Fridays. I'm supposedly off, but I'm not really off sometimes. So I try to work in the mornings and do the financial stuff. I have an accountant, but that's, you know, that's the business side of it. But, you know, you can use, this is what I found that I didn't know before, but I'm very happy to have found out as a business owner, there's so many things you can do to, to help everybody be in a better environment. So I always tell my staff, what do you need to do your job better? Do you need a more comfortable seat? Do you need a special keyboard? Do you need a bigger screen. Okay, who wants an extra monitor? Who wants this? Who wants that? Why? Because number one, it's deductible. It's tax deductible. So why? <laughs> number one. <laughs> number like number one. Like, and I tell people either I give it to Uncle Sam or I give it to you, because a lot of times they're like, no, 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 I don't need anything, and I'm like, well, that's fine. Either I give you know I give it to Uncle Sam or I give it to you. Uh, I rather give it to them, and and that's how you use. This is how you use the white right. man's laws mm-hmm. to to help 
you know, each other out. Mm -hmm. And because I also know that, for example, I have unlimited sick days. Mm. Because, well, number one, nobody uses it and that sucks. But they do use it for like, you know, they they go to the den, they have doctor's appointments or whatever. And, and they're always so like, I love my stuff, but they're always like, no, I just, you know, I'm, I can't get an appointment. So I, I'm going to do it like Friday after five. And I'm like, no, just go, just yeah. go. Because I know their work ethic and I know that they're dedicated. So, so that's, and I think my, my philosophy is like, you, you give them a lot of leeway because they're not going to jump off. You just, they're just going to be able to breathe. You know, it's so easy to get affected by people's stories. And as you said, that's something that's personally difficult for you. So how do you reconcile, you know, the fact that you are running a business, that you do need to keep the lights on, and then also just kind of this, like, natural human impulse to not want to burden your clients with too many fees? Mm. Oh, I do payment plans. <laughs> okay, yeah, you work with people. <laughs> I do payment plans, and, and sometimes I... I, I work with the, the Mexican consulate. I have a small contract with them for some money. So mm, if okay. I have someone that, you know, if somebody comes to the office and I know that they they can be helped by that, I say, hey, go to the consulate. I'll send right. them an email too. And they'll pay uh, like half their, mm-hmm. half their fees. But I think the philosophy or like, we need to be okay in order for them to be okay. And that includes the right, staff, right? right. Like, like we can't be without and spread ourselves thin in order to help them because we won't help them. And that's kind of the the, the okay. harsh reality. But yeah, I mean, after all, it is a business. And, and as the business has grown, I mean, I was, when we first started, I didn't have many perks. But as we went, I was like, you know what, I, I can afford to give everybody you know, health insurance and like dental insurance. And like, like I just, as I started going, I was like, Hey, uh, let's give everybody races. Okay. Let's do this. Let's do that. Because as, as the money comes in, it's important to be able to, you know, spread it around. Kind of relatedly, how much pro bono work do you do? And how do you factor that into like your yearly plans? You know what? I don't know. I don't know how much pro bono we do because we do a lot of it and we don't count it. I like to say that we have like five pro bono cases going on at once. Okay. So once, but, but the reality is we do a lot more. Like I'll do free consults every month. I have a handful of free consults that people call or they say, Hey, my friend has this issue da, 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 da. and I'm like no no have them come in and I mean we do yeah do you charge for consults but for them I'm like no 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 they just they just need to know what's going on I'll talk to them but yeah I, I want I want to say five my business manager will probably say it's a lot more than that and, and it's hard because we don't do we don't say like we only do this type of case like if yeah. we want to we'll just whatever like if it's a NAT or if it's like a uh, a VAWA. I mean, we've done several that, that we just did for free, like for um, domestic violence survivors. Do you have advice for people who want to open up a solo practice? I do. I, I'll, I'll give the same advice that my friend gave me. And I'll say, you know, do you have social capital? And also, you have to take care of yourself. 
you have to take care of yourself because you're no good to anyone if you don't take care of yourself. And, and what I mean is it did hurt my feelings that I could not give people prizes because I'm so horrible at it. But I realized that the, the, the fact that I was not always thinking about bottom line and I was focusing on cases made me more efficient and, and not worried about the money. The money was there. One of the things that if you, if you as a person who aspires to have their own law firm have never been an immigration lawyer and you've been another type of lawyer, you tend to think that other lawyers are not supportive of each other. And, and I have found that immigration attorneys are so good at helping each other, are so, 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 so good. And, and I know, I mean, I've had friends or other attorneys who have sent me manuals, who have sent me briefs, like sample briefs, and I've done the same. And it's such a beautiful community to be in that if you want to open up your own law firm, that you are able to kind of go to someone and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? And I know in my experience, when I've had people come to me, I'm like, let me know what you need. What do you need? You need sample letters. You need sample you know, forms, what, whatever you need, because there really is no competition. There's no competition here in Tucson, Arizona. There's no competition. I could I could do this all over the state and there's still and there's no competition. So much, there's so much need, that's why. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so we can only benefit by helping each other. Why? Why would we be like, oh no, let watch them, you know, the new person, oh, oh, oh they're gonna fail. No, what do you need? Can I send you cases? <laughs> you know, like just starting out. You'd be surprised. I get phone calls every day for people who are detained. I don't do detainee cases anymore. For people who need consular processing, I don't do that anymore. For appeals, I don't do those anymore. For what else yeah, do I don't there's do? There's also so many steps within the immigration system, too, that you could have multiple lawyers, you know, for one person. Oh, yes, things. that's true, too. Yeah. But no, I would say that if if, if you are, are interested in opening up a law firm, go for it, go for it. But but hopefully you are the type of person that is organized and that is the outside lawyer as well as the inside lawyer, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's so important. Yes. You said that your office jokes about how at Dorlina Law, you do a little bit of everything. Yes. Vespados, Esponjabon, <laughs> detective services. What did you mean by that? <laughs> I know. It's it's so true. Um, so... <laughs> So I we always say esponjabon because there was this there was this like hit a couple of years ago on TikTok. Everybody was selling esponjabon. Do you know what that is? It's it's these these soaps that are. No, I don't sort- think so. Yeah, so esponjabon it is the soap. When they make the soap, it's inside a sponge. So you just wet the sponge and there's in, there's soap inside. So they call it esponjabon. Oh, okay. oh, uh-huh. I know, and and it, obviously it's like not literal, but. We laugh because going back to the, the beginning when we talked about, you know, social work and getting to know everybody, your clients, right? We're, we're there only for their legal needs. And that's a fact. Mm-hmm. But, but people call for the strangest things and, and their clients. And then we have to do this. You know, we do everything. I mean, I've had, I had somebody call me a couple of weeks ago because they thought Border Patrol was calling them. And so they three-wayed me into the call and I <laughs> lit a new one into this, you know, fraudulent scammer. 
it was horrible. And I was just like, do you know who you are talking to? And, and then he was like, no. And I said, this is her attorney. And then he goes, do you know who I am? And I said, yes, you're a scammer. And I'm calling Homeland Security Investigations right now. And they're tracing your phone. Of course, they were not. And then he hung up. <laughs> He got me on the wrong day because I was already in a bad mood. I was like, oh my goodness. So we do crazy stuff like that, which is, you know, right. kind of not necessarily within our, our purview. Mm-hmm. We had a, a lot of times when we're doing uh, humanitarian cases where we have to do photos, you know, like family photos or whatever. We will stalk. We will get on Facebook. We'll get on Instagram. We will find more photos for you because you didn't send us enough. You know, so we're like creating this, this, this history we had. Oh my God. So last week we, we were looking for, it was an abusive son uh, case. So we have the mom, right. And she didn't. Someone can gain legal status by showing that a U.S. citizen, like son or daughter was abusive, uh, committed battery or extreme cruelty. And so we, we usually kind of, I don't want to say stalking, but we, what we do is we go into public access and we look for any tickets, anything that that kind of uh, supports the evidence supporting the fact that this person is not the best person in the world, right? And so we were looking in the court, we didn't find anything. And so we we decided to look on Facebook. And so we were like, oh no, he's too young to have Facebook, but no, let's see. So we looked and we looked and we found him and Fortunately for for us, unfortunately for him, I think he's more likely than not, because um, that's the bar, right? Preponderance of evidence, uh, gang member, and because he had all these photos with all these signs and all these things, and we were like, woohoo, jackpot! So we, you know, printed all these pictures and included it, and and we laughed because. It's, I mean, we were happy that we have evidence that will help our client, right? But, but it's funny because we get very creative in terms of how do we find this evidence? Or sometimes people call, I had somebody call one time and they're like, I just want to know, I need to know if, if I'm still married. And so I said, okay, what's your name? It wasn't anybody, it was not a client. And I said, what's your name? And so they gave me their name and I looked up and I said, oh, I'm sorry, ma'am, you were you've been divorced for a year now. (laughs) So (laughs) it was like just the random thing. And and so we laugh and sometimes we, we do things like that, that we tell each other, okay, well, this is not Doralina law anymore. This is like Doralina law is Ponjabon and detective services. Like we're, we're like selling all these uh, services, even though we're not really selling them, but we are, I mean, but we do, um, what needs to be done. We, it, we do what needs to be done because it's there. And you know what? ICE is doing the same thing. ICE is going into Facebook and looking up right. people's history. So, right, hey. Right, right, Yeah. It's all fair game in the immigration world. Yes. Believe it or not. But I think my, I think the reason, the other reason that we say that is based on the silly, crazy things we do as an office to offset the stress of the practice. That's um, what I was going to ask. That was going to be my last question is, how do you prevent burnout from happening in a field that just has so much heaviness? You know, no matter what you try and do, you know, work less hours, um, you know, yes. like you talked about supporting people through school or, do you know, advancing other skills they want. But at the end of the day, 
the work at its core is very hard and very heavy emotionally. So how do you prevent burnout? You've been doing this for nine years. How have you remained committed to this work? Uh, therapy, <laughs> therapy. Um, amen, amen. Right. Um, but besides that, making the environment as supportive of others as we can. And I, I do a, I did a presentation a couple months ago at the YMCA that was like how to deal with toxicity in your workplace. I, I do not have toxicity in this workplace. I have the best, best, like we are awesome, I believe. Um, but also, but because we, we're all strong women that have a lot of compassion and we, we've been, I've, like I've arranged for trainings, you know, on like how to deal with, uh, how to work with trauma survivors, because we were doing a lot of uh, domestic violence survivor work. I have bought wigs <laughs> so that we can wear them while we go to lunch, like cute ones, of course. <laughs> I've, we do like silly things that, like that. That sounds like very fun, actually. Yeah. I would love that. <laughs> yeah. It's, no, we, we are like not, I'm, I'm, I try to have a very, an environment in, and I've taught everybody and everybody's kind of bought on to my theory of like, if you have something to say to some, to your coworker, you have to say it to their face. We don't talk about each other. You know, there's no gossip in this place. We, we deal with the issues as they come. We have staff meetings. If someone's having a rough day, they can go home and, you know, relax I, in the past, I have made them read letters that probably I wouldn't do that anymore because sometimes they're like, I don't want to read this. It's too traumatic. And I'm like, how are you going to learn? How are you going to get through this? How are you going to develop that scar? You know, the scarring of the, of the injury, you know, oh, Dorlina, no. <laughs> I know, but it's worth mom, but it works now. Well, because otherwise who's going to read it? You know, like I read it, but how are they going to deal with what we, what we deal with? And, and what I would do now, I actually have a social worker that works with the clients to do the letters so that there's no yeah. big need to read them. But, That's good. but it's we hard are- for that one person as a shoulder, all that, but you know, I think that that was probably healthier. It's healthier. Also, I always say, you know, in Spanish, I always say, todos tenemos nuestras cositas, right? Like we all have past trauma. And so sometimes I, I try to, I, I had something happen yesterday with a new client. Oh my God. She's just like, I just need to know what's going on. And she just kind of has so much crisis going on. Right. And so one of my staff said, Oh my God, like she's just too much. I can't handle her. And I said, remember she's in the middle of the crisis remember remember she's in the middle of it right now we usually get them uh, you know a few months after that or a few weeks after that she is in a shelter so she's in the middle let's have some patience let's have some compassion and 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 she's like and I said don't get triggered I know that it her behavior is triggering don't get triggered just just have compassion wait it out and let's see what happens. And then today, oh my God, like the client called again and she's like, no, no, like we're, we're giving her something for free, but she, she's frustrated that it's going to take a long time, but that's not our fault. That's immigration. Right. So she's like, oh, I don't want anything anymore. Ah, ah, ah. And she goes, oh, I'm so glad she's leaving. And I said, well, she's probably not going to leave. 
<laughs> but remember, she's still in crisis. And so it's like a lot of, you know, I do my own little, my own little uh, social work stuff here, you know, where I'm like, remember to have yeah, compassion. That's so important. <laughs> I love that because, you know, I don't, I haven't really, I, I think it's rare to see leadership demonstrating that. I think more frequently stuff like that comes from down below and I just really appreciate yeah, that you are maintaining that in your practice. Yeah. And and we see the results. And I told her, I said, also, I said, when we get them, think of, think of how she's going to be in six months. Think, think of how she's going to be in a year because we see the results. We see the transformations. And uh, I don't know. I, I can't, say to you like oh my god I've always been like this no I think it's just doing this for years you you get to kind of realize the importance and and realize that I don't know that it just makes a difference and I think I've learned so much through the count like the therapy that I've had but also with the trainings that we've received from different social workers on how to work with survivors right that's really amazing well, Darlena, those are all the questions that I had for you. Is there anything that we missed? No, I'm just glad that like I we got to talk about it because I, I think more attorneys and, and too bad other like solo practitioners or other law firms don't don't have time mm. to learn about this, you know? Well, hopefully they'll listen to this podcast. I don't know. That, yeah. You know, that might happen. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Me too, me too. Um, Okay, well, thank you, Darlena, so much for joining me on this Friday, which is supposed to be your day off. I hope that you get to relax this evening. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Bye, Darlena.